Hey guys, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Before we start the episode, I just wanted to pop in here and let you guys know that we do talk about some sensitive subjects on today's episode. Um, so we talk a lot about Conscience past, um, growing up in India and the abuse that she suffered. Um, and we also talk about her past and Lisa's past with sexual assault and things of that nature. So there is some stronger language in today's episode. So wanted to let you know if this is not the episode for you today, that's totally fine. We have so many other episodes that you guys can dive into, but if not, we're so excited you're here and let's get into the show. Let's shake it up a little. Welcome to the Salt and Pepper Podcast, adding a little bit of salt and a little bit of spice to make your Tuesday just right. This podcast is here to shake up the way you think about basically everything from health, beauty, entrepreneurship, and whether you're loving the newest trends. These ladies are here to prove that it's always better when salt and pepper come together. So here are your hosts, Lisa and Olivia. One of the things my therapist taught me early on, she was like, you know, you have to not tolerate abuse from yourself because I was in a very abusive relationship with myself because I, I only learned to abuse myself growing up with my parents and with the society that I grew up in. That's what I learned. And she was like, you have to stop accepting abuse from yourself and from others, right? And so that was a point in my life where I just cut off contact, which was one of the most painful things I've ever done, ever cut off contact with anyone in my life who was abusive towards me and that included my family. Hey Shakers, welcome to the Salt and Pepper Podcast. I'm Olivia and I'm Olivia. It's just me today. Um, We actually decided to bypass the intro just for today's episode. Don't worry, we will be back with all of our quippy banter next week. Um, But today's episode is already a little bit long. And honestly, we had such a good time with Conchin hearing about her past and everything that it took for her to come here and start Crumbs and Whiskers um, and to now write her book, Dear Me, I Love You, which will be available for pre-order, I think, coming soon here in the next week or so. And of of course, all of that will be in the show notes below. But like I mentioned, we kind of have a longer episode, so we wanted to just get right into it. So without further ado, let's shake it up with Conchin. Awesome. Okay, well, we are here with Conchin, and we're really excited. I mean, one of the reasons why I mean, we're just excited to talk to you, but the fact that you love cats as much oh, as gosh. we do, I mean that's going to be a whole part of this podcast. Um, But we are super excited to talk to you. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So as we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. So I am the founder and CEO of Crumbs and Whiskers, which is LA and DC's first cat cafe. Um, I'm also a writer and poet. And my first book uh, that's titled Dear Me, I Love You is coming out like the pre-launch is in like two weeks oh my gosh that's so exciting are you nervous are you so excited uh I am terrified and anytime (laughs) I feel excitement it very quickly turns into terror so you know that's yes yeah yes okay so reading about like what your book is about I was like 
so excited to talk to you, not to be morbid, but we have, I think, a lot of things in common just as far as like mental health and depression, anxiety, but I want to start from the beginning. I have a lot of questions about like where you are now and how that's all going, but I want to hear first, okay, I think you're around our age. How old are you? I'm 30. You're 30. Yeah. Okay. So we're 27. Um, Wait, are you 28? Yeah. Sorry. Um, And then I always, she has a boyfriend and I always call him her husband. She doesn't know me, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, just tell us a little bit about how that started. Uh, You are, uh, you were born in India, right? And raised Mm -hmm. in America. So tell me a little bit about that. I was actually born and raised in India. So I moved to the U.S. when I was 14. Um, And so, you know, my entire childhood was in India. So basically, when I was 24, I quit my corporate job and I started Crumbs and Whiskers. And, um, you know, at the time, and I think still in our culture, entrepreneurship is very glamorized. It's very like, uh, and what I didn't realize I was doing as a 24-year-old that I realized now looking back and after years of self-work is I was putting, I had no sense of self-esteem. I had no sense of self-worth. I had a massive hole in me from like just things in my childhood. And I thought that like having a successful business would fill that hole. Right. And I thought it would give me self-worth. And so, and it was kind of the last thread, if that makes sense. Like it was like the only it's almost like the last thing before you're left with nothing if like that doesn't turn out the way you'd hoped. So what happened was my company became successful very quickly. The power of cats, you find, <laughs> monumental. Yes. And it was like absolutely not what I was expecting at all. Like the day we announced that we'd be opening a cat cafe, like eight months before it was going to be open, like we became the number one trending thing in DC, like on our opening day, like our reservations, the day we opened our reservation system, it like crashed for 24 hours because of the volume. And like, you know, it was $8 to go to the cat cafe at the time. And on our first day, we did $20,000 in sales. So that's a lot of tickets, you know, at $8 a pop. And like, on our first day there was like a line like around two blocks to come in and like we were fully booked already for like a month and a half so like these people couldn't even get in they were going to be turned away and a lady was so mad that she couldn't pet cats that she broke our door and i was fixing it with a hammer but that's a different story (laughs) like it just and you know like the media was going crazy about it like we were in like all these papers and it was, it was this interesting thing where I wanted it all to go away. Like it was, it surprised me, but like on day one, I was like, I don't want any of this and I want it all to go away. And I actually stopped taking calls from reporters. Like I didn't take a call from like Time Magazine. I didn't take calls from like, and the self-sabotage started there. Like I didn't recognize it until a lot later, but it, pretty much started on like day one of sabotaging like my own success because I found now that when we get things we don't believe we deserve, we sabotage them. And like already by day one, it was way beyond my concept of what I was capable of, what I was competent enough to do and what I deserved. And then over the next year, you know, when having it was so this it's this interesting inner conflict that happened where like I want a really successful business 
to fill that hole in me, to give me self-worth. And at the same time, I want to sabotage my business to prove that my parents who were very intense and narcissistic and just kind of demeaning towards me to prove them right, right? Because I had adopted their belief system as my own, that I was completely incompetent, incapable, etc. So half of me is trying to prove that right and sabotaging everything. And half of me is trying to make my company successful because it's the only thing that'll give me worth. And um, again, entrepreneurship, very glamorized at the time, still is. And quick growth, also very glamorized, right? So I kind of just was in the state of inner conflict, but I kept pushing forward and pulling backward, right? That was my like whole dance that I was doing. And so I opened a second location in LA a year later, and that also became really successful. Like BuzzFeed out of nowhere just reported on us. It got like 15 million views, celebrities were showing up and it like also blew up. And I think that's when it hit me because that's when the depression started. So up until this point, there was really bad anxiety. There was like really bad self-sabotage. There was some self, self-destructive behavior, but like I hadn't hit full on depression because I think that like I had thought that somehow opening my second location would fix all these issues and then I would have self-worth and everything would be great, right? Um, and so th- that's when, so anyway, so the depression became really bad in the sense that like I would be in this apartment, like all curtains closed, fully dark room for like two, three weeks straight. And like the only time I would even, and I would just lay in my bed, like empty. And I would just stare at the ceiling. Like it's numbness, right? Like anybody who's been depressed will tell, like, it's just a void. And that's all it is. And I would literally just like get out of bed when I got so hungry that my stomach felt like it was like gnawing at itself. And I would go to my fridge, I would get like a cold hard piece of bread and I would just eat that and I would just go right back to bed. And I had a business mentor at the time who, you know, she was like, Kanjan, a lot of things that you've said about just have made me feel like you need therapy. And she was like, I never felt like it was in my place to tell you that. But given that you are in this like extreme depressive state, like I think it'll be something worth looking at, you know? And, and when I started therapy, like my childhood, you know, people talk about their childhoods. People say like, what was your favorite place to go to? Like this and that. And I always was like, how do people like remember this shit? Because like when I think back, it's like a black screen. There's nothing. And like, I always kind of just attributed that to bad memory. Like I was like, I have a memory of a goldfish. Like it's what I used to tell everyone in my early 20s not realizing that like my entire childhood was repressed for a reason, you know? And so when I started therapy, like I, so I've, I've been molested by like five different men and it started at the age of five, including three family members. I've been sexually assaulted by like 11 different men. I've been physically beaten by my, physically abused by my father. I've watched my mother attempt suicide and blame it on me. So like, I've, it's just had a very extreme childhood And I never really realized like what that did to me. Like I didn't really understand like the trauma of it. And I didn't really understand like all the stored emotions that I had because like we as children, when we don't feel, when it's not safe to feel things, we, we lock them away. Right. And so when I began therapy, it was, 
I used to not feel. And I just used to tell people like, I'm a machine. Like I don't understand this whole, why people get so emotional. Like I just don't have emotions. Well, the truth was not that I didn't have emotions. It was that I had locked them away because I had so much stored emotion that I, it would be way too overwhelming to like, even look at that, you know? And so in therapies, when we opened that can of worms, and then it was like a flood, like it was like this dam, like just kind of broke through self-work. And then it was intense. And so for the next few years, I took a step back from growing my company. I took a, I like, we didn't open any new stores. We didn't grow. And I just kind of told my team that like my full-time job was healing and my full-time job was going to be doing deep self-work. And so I started therapy and like all these other things. And this interesting thing happened where I started writing. Like I've never been a writer. The poetry thing was so random. Like I had never written a single poem in my life. And when I was in that kind of deep pain, the only way I could process it was writing. Like I I say this all the time, like writing saved my life and writing was how I processed all of the stored pain that I had. Um, And so, so I started writing and I only was writing to process my emotions, you know, and somewhere along the way, I realized that I was writing my book. Like I, I realized kind of like, this, I want to tell my story and not in the way a traditional memoir is written, not in a way of like, this is what I went through, but like, this is how I healed what I went through because I've read a lot of stuff on like what people have been through and what they've overcome, but not what they felt, you know? And like, it was so like, this book is like essentially a bunch of my diary pages put together because it's the feeling. And what I wanted to share what I wanted to create isn't my own story. You know how like with songs, when you listen to a breakup song, it's not about the artist's breakup. It's about your breakup and it's cathartic for you. So like, that's the kind of book I wanted to write where women who have been abused or felt like unwanted by their parents or unloved, etc., mm. it could become about their stuff. And I think poetry has that same power where like you can, it's about you it's no longer about the person who experienced that whereas in memoirs it's just about the person and their experiences Mm -hmm. and so anyway so like with, with the book it's what I'm hoping it'll be for people is like an album like a cathartic kind of thing where you get to feel like your own repressed emotions or like things that you maybe haven't let yourself feel um so anyway so that's how I kind of started writing my book and that was the purpose of like why I'm putting this out there versus just using it as a way of catharsis myself and Mm -hmm. um and then COVID happened which shut down um which shut down our stores and the good news of that was I got to like finish the book because it was initially Mm -hmm. 1500 pages long because I had a lot of emotions and we were like, no one's going to read this. So we cut it down to 300 over the 300 pages over the pandemic. And um, we just reopened our stores to two months ago. I was going to say one month ago and they're doing thank you really well. And the book is ready to be published. So that's where I am now. And I am diagnosed with complex PTSD and it's something that I live with. And it's something that I'm still like learning kind of how to navigate. And I used to think that like this book is called Dear Me, I Love You until I'm like perfect in self-love. I'm not going to put it out there. Right. And like, I've come to this place of acceptance that I'm not going to ever be perfect in self-love. And it doesn't make me a fraud that I'm preaching it because I was kind of like, 
I don't want to preach something that I can't practice myself 100% of the time. And so I've just been learning that I'm not a fraud. And, you know, the book is okay to launch, even though I struggle with complex PTSD, and I still struggle with like, self judgment and self hatred sometimes. Mm. So that's kind of the long version of the story. Wow. Thank you for sharing yeah, all of that. Wow. And I'm really sorry about um, your trauma. That's, that's really difficult. So I'm, I'm really curious as far as, um, so like going through your own state of like, oh wait, I actually have emotions. A lot of them are repressed. And then realizing like, oh wait, I have actually so many memories and they're repressed. Um, and going through all of that, are your parents a part of that process at all? Um, and, and is there some part of you that's like, like coming from, is it like culture or your parents or like you yourself that's like not very emotional? Um, because like how when I started therapy, it was actually kind of hard for me because my parents are immigrants and um, coming from like a, a communist country. And so they, they emotions aren't like really a thing. Like my dad doesn't like really have emotions unless it's like anger. Mm-hmm. And um, so like telling my parents I'm going to therapy was actually really hard. And even now my dad, he doesn't know I go to therapy. Like he just it would go over his head and so I'm curious like for you is that even something they comprehend or understand so I've been a creator for a really long time um, and I was always looking for insight and wisdom from other creators Uh, but I always kind of felt like no one talked about how to take photos start a TikTok or honestly how to even ask for money from brands Um, it's so daunting trying to figure these things out especially from the beginning yeah, I mean, I've talked to you about this. I've I've tried forcing your hand and just growing my platform, but you showed me the Content Creatives Podcast, and I've been wondering how in the world am I going to grow my platform? I literally didn't know where to start, but their episodes are easily laid out and direct. It makes it so easy to follow along, whether you're coming with a large audience or just getting started. Yeah, I mean, it's so awesome. Emma and Maddie from um, the Content Creatives Podcast pull back the curtain to what it means to be an influencer, how to ask brands for money, their mental health journeys while working full time. They are so busy and their personal experiences building their Instagrams, blogs, podcasts, social media channels. Yeah, they share influencer tips and lessons they've learned by navigating the influencer world, just starting it from the bottom up themselves. These ladies help you discover, grow, and own your own brand. So check them out at the Content Creatives Podcast. No, it's not. And I think that, you know, it it's true for immigrants, but I've also noticed with a lot of my American friends, I think just globally, we do not embrace emotions. We don't really talk about them. We don't feel them help. Like we don't have a healthy relationship with our emotions, especially the uncomfortable emotions like anger, rage, grief. Like those are intense emotions that we all have yet we're, you know, kind of taught to not embrace them and we're taught to put them away because we're acting out if we're, you know, actually feeling those things. Um, As far as my parents, I cut off ties with my parents pretty early on um, because it not only would they never understand and they didn't understand, but it was also like, 
there was ridicule there was humiliation there was like what are you doing and and then they were taking it personally like it meant like they were awful parents which I mean I was kind of like you you kind of were but you know like whatever but it's so it I had to one of the things my therapist taught me early on was she was like you know you have to not tolerate abuse from yourself because I was in a very abusive relationship with myself because I, I only learned to abuse myself growing up with my parents and with the society that I grew up in. That's what I learned. And she was like, you have to stop accepting abuse from yourself and from others, right? And so that was a point in my life where I just cut off contact, which was one of the most painful things I've ever done, ever cut off contact with anyone in my life who was abusive towards me. And that included my family. Wow. Mm. I have so many questions. I know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, kind of just to go back a little bit. So I, I remember I went to LA like five years ago and I wanted to go to Crumbs and Whiskers so bad and they were like booked out for the day and I was so mad. So we walked by there and I just like looked in the window and I was like, look at all the people petting the cats. They look so happy. Um, and it's always been my goal. So I need to go there at some point. Um, but one thing that you touched on that's so true is this um, that we do glamorize entrepreneurship and getting there right away and having that big break right away. And one thing we talk about all the time is that it's a process and like everything that we're doing, it's like we're getting the nose and we're going through like the negative experiences because it's like we're learning along the way. And I just can't really imagine, let's say, starting this podcast and instantly we get like a deal for something because that would be so overwhelming. And so for you, like... I mean, obviously you have learned so much and you did pull back and you took that time to take care of yourself. Um, but yeah, I guess like what advice would you give to people who maybe they did get their big break right at the beginning or maybe they're starting right now? I just I can't imagine really processing those feelings um, because you obviously wanted it because you started this business and you were passionate about it. But then you got it and it was like, hold on, this is way too much. So, so I think we have to let it be whatever it is, you know, like I think we have to if we do get a big break. We have to let it be that. And if we don't get a big break and we have to work towards it, we have to let it be that. It's like no judgment either way or no kind of whatever, like work with what you've got, work with what you're getting. Um, for people who get a big break quickly, I think that like taking a step back and building a team that can support you because I didn't do that. I tried to do everything myself and I kept trying to do everything myself and I sabotaged my success. And so it did get smaller because like, again, if I'm not taking calls from reporters and I'm not like, you know, whatever, it's not going to grow, right? It is going to shrink. Um, and so I don't recommend sabotaging it. I recommend like stepping back and building a team, which I did like two and a half years later because I had such bad PTSD from childhood that I didn't trust anyone. So I couldn't mm. trust anyone in my company. And so I couldn't step away. And it took a lot of therapy to be able to trust people in like those bigger positions. Um, so anyway, so back to your question, that's what I would say to somebody who gets a big break quickly, because you can actually handle a lot 
if you have a really good team around you, you really can. Like, that's what I've learned, like things that I didn't think I could handle. And then for somebody who's not getting a big break to like realize that like there's a lot of value in that. Like there's a lot of value in like growing slowly and learning and like ramping up so that it's when it happens, it's not like an avalanche that you get buried in like I did, you know? So I think that there's like pros and cons to each side. I mean, it's amazing to get your big break for it, like immediately. Like, it's just really amazing because like, it val- it's very validating. It's very exciting. It's very inspiring. It's like, and it's just fun, right? Like, it's just cool, but it has its downsides. And I think like the issue is that we only see that as like, we see one thing as good and another thing is bad. One thing is desirable. Another thing is undesirable. And I think that they're both desirable. Like with my poetry, I think it's going to be a slow ramp up. I think it's not going to be explosive in the way that Crumbs and Whiskers was, even though I want my poetry to be huge. I want to be a very, very well-known poet. Um, and like, I've see, I see the value in both, but I'd be lying if I didn't say like, I want my poetry to explode. Like, I think it's human nature to want that. And I think that there's nothing wrong with it. It's when we stop ourselves or like, we think that we're not good enough because we didn't explode. That's when it becomes the issue, you know, like wanting it and going for it, I think is a perfectly great thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just recognize the value in the other side too. Yeah. Can you explain to me one thing that stuck out is when you said like that first day you're like I want out of it. Yeah. Explain to me like what that process is. Like what the, what is the overwhelming part of it? And cuz it's something, it's a business that you built. Like your hands are on it. Obviously like you want it to be successful. So what do you think that self sabotage was like trying to do or what was it telling you? Well, what I know to be true from like again just self-work is that I felt like the closest analogy I have to it is like leaving a relationship leaving a guy before the guy can leave you so like if my concept is that Mm. I'm a fraud I'm an imposter I'm not actually competent enough to have a successful business this whole thing is going to collapse right I don't know how but it's going to collapse and in my head it's going to collapse tomorrow I'd rather I'd rather leave than have my business's success leave me right like we protect ourselves from pain ourselves from pain by paradoxically inflicting pain upon ourselves because we assume that it's going to be less than the pain inflicted by somebody else so like my own belief system is that this is going to fail because I I could never create something that's successful because I'm too dumb and too stupid. And so let me get out of here before it's a public embarrassment of how my business failed, because at least then it won't be that. It'll just be that like I quit. Right. So that's that's kind of what was going on there. Is part of that, um, you talk about this a lot, Olivia, like um, imposter syndrome, d- does it kind of feel like, oh, I need to get out before people find out I actually have no idea what I'm doing? Yeah, and I think women really struggle with this. And I, I think it's like, you know, I know as a girl, I wasn't empowered. And like, I mean, I grew up in India, which is a very patriarchal country, right? But like, I know I wasn't Nobody was like, my parents weren't telling me you're strong, you're intelligent, you're competent, you can do whatever you set your mind to. My dad was telling me, you're so dumb. I can't believe how stupid you are. You're never going to succeed in life. You need me. You need a man. That's Mm -hmm. That's the belief system I grew up with. And so, of course, 
all of a sudden I'm on my own. I don't have my dad. He doesn't support a cat cafe. He thinks it's a really dumb idea. I have, I don't have a man. I don't have my dad and I'm doing this on my own. All those beliefs that up until now were kind of buried away are suddenly up, right? Like when we do things that scare us, our fears are up. Like if you're not going to do something that scares you, you're not half the time. You don't even know that you're afraid of it because there's no reason for you to feel that fear. But the second you start doing something you're afraid of, you are feeling the fear. Right. And so like when I started doing things that my beliefs contradicted, I started feeling the gravity of those beliefs that otherwise I just never really felt, you know? Yeah. I mean, imposter syndrome is so real and just in every aspect of life because I mean yeah like that's the one thing I always say is is sometimes I have to like turn off that part of my brain that is telling me I can't do something because I'm like I might not really know what I'm doing but I'm just gonna like try my best to do it um but it's it is really scary and I mean this is gonna sound like the most broad question but I'm just gonna go for it but like you talk about growing up in India and I mean she is first generation American and so is my boyfriend and I am not I grew up in America very privileged I didn't understand other cultures um and so like what was it really like growing up in India I mean it is it's so different and so out of sight out of mind for a lot of people um and also, why did you end up coming here? And like, what was the catalyst to you for you moving to America? I did not want to come here at all. I actually uh, made our pair. We I made us miss three flights. I ran away from home and I used to run away from home all the time. But like I ran away from home for two of our flights. And then our third flight, I faked being like deathly ill, like by taking like this thermometer and putting it in like hot tea and then putting and then like putting this like hot thing all over me like literally anybody who touched me was like she's burning I wasn't (laughs) um so what was it like growing up in India stifling for me right and like everyone's I really want to say I don't want to speak to like anybody who's grown up in India because I have friends who grew up in India and grew up empowered right and so like that it's not like that it didn't exist I come from a place called Jamshi. I come from like the most illiterate gang violent state in India. So I come from like the deep of the deep South of India, which is like something that we can't really imagine here. Like half of my dad's family is like the Indian mafia. So like, and like the illiteracy rates are like the highest in the country. Right. So like I come from a very, I know the guy who I was supposed to be child married to and he became a stalker in my teens who threat who used to constantly follow me and stalk me and threaten to like pour acid on my face, which is a thing that men in India do so that no guy would ever want me. So like I come from like, again, just a very intense part of India. And it was extremely stifling because like you learn that as a girl, you have no worth, you have no rights. You're like, my biggest dream was supposed to be like, which I think is there in America too, like a little bit, like my biggest dream was supposed to be like the man I got married to one day. Um, And like, there's really no other dream that I'm allowed to have beside that. I'm taught constantly that I'm like worthless and insignificant and the like, and I'm, and I'm watching my parents, right? I'm watching that my mom has no say in decisions. I'm watching like my dad verbally abuse my mom. I'm watching all of these things happen. And so 
it was infuriating. Like I've, one of the biggest things I've had to process over the years is all my rage and anger that I never really got to feel as a child. Um, and it was very stifling as a girl and as a woman. And it, I became very masculine as a result. Like I've only started becoming feminine through very deep self-work. Like I used to be, when I started this journey a few years ago, I was very masculine. Um, and I had become that way because like that's, what we're taught to be. Um, so anyway, so in one word, I would say it was very stifling. I mean, India is a place of like amazing culture, right? Amazing like foods, amazing uh, fam like close-knit family systems. Like there's good to it. And maybe I just need to do more healing so I can see it because like I'm still in my own healing process. Um, I just know that like in this moment in time, there's not like too much that I appreciate about having grown mm -hmm. up there. Yeah. So what, what was it that you, is it that you didn't want to come to America specifically or was it not actually wanting to leave? America has a bad rep in a lot of countries, <laughs> <laughs> like a really bad rep. <laughs> and at least like in my circle and where I grew up in India, it had a very bad rep. Like mm. I was just like, oh my God, I do not want to be among these people. And I mean, let's just think about it from the fact of like, okay, if you were 14, right, you're growing up in America and your dad suddenly like, we're moving to China tomorrow forever. You would feel terror because these are people who don't speak your language, who look nothing like you, whose culture is nothing like you, you feel like you're going to be an alien. And like at an age of 14, at an age when like belonging and friendship and, and like being accepted socially is like the most important thing in the world to you, right? So it's like, it was terrifying just because of that. Like just because I felt like I was, like to me, you could have said we are moving to like Venus. Like you could have told me that we were going to an entirely different planet you know and then on top of that yeah america just didn't have a good rep it wasn't like it was like i saw america as like a place with people who didn't have values who didn't have morals who didn't have like you know a good ethical code like they just weren't good people that's just the way i saw it so of course i don't want to go live there yeah. and be among them yeah yeah that's so funny because my parents it was I mean coming from Romania it was the complete opposite because you know they want to be in a country of like freedom but um then when you talk about like the morals and the ethics they're like yeah for sure that's America <laughs> like America is like the place where like you can be and do whatever you want and that's kind of freaky like yeah you know there's not as much of a standard but I mean that's also like you know come to realize that's like what makes it you know the country that it is and so you know now it's like wow that's great like we get to be who we are and love that and when you were talking about like like you're hoping that one day you get to appreciate and like love like your home country um I I totally get that too because I have a lot of like hurt from like my Romanian culture just growing up really traditional and um like you have to act and be a certain way um and then coming out of it um I've had to realize like okay that's not everyone like this like one community and how these people treat it like there are different parts of Romania and it's and it's different and um you know you just like 
have to, and it's kind of like living in America too. Like, you know, you're not going to love every single part of America that you live in. So I, I really hope that for you too. I hope that there is a day that you can, but you know, therapy, thank, thank goodness for therapy. And it's so awesome that you're doing something like, despite what other people might think is like, you know, the right thing to do. I think that's the great part about culture right now is how accepting we are now of, um, getting in touch with what's really going on and that's actually something I was learning the most in therapy is like being in touch with my anger. I had a lot of repressed anger um, from childhood because my dad's very stern as well. Like you have to act a certain way, be a certain way, don't talk out of line, you know, that type of stuff. Um, So uh, now with so you're still um, CEO of Crumbs and Whiskers. Mm-hmm. So how is that now? Are you still in the process of like healing and taking care of yourself in your book? Or like what does it look like right now um, in the company? Yeah, I still, you know, with with my complex PTSD and like a lot of ways in which trauma impacts me, like my, and with putting my book out there, which is truly like putting out my heart and soul, like they're, these are my diary entries, right? Like there's no, and, and I feel in my heart, like what I want to do is put it out there because I can see it being cathartic for people. And I've even seen my friends cry reading about it and being like, I didn't know that like, I felt unseen as a child until I read this, you know, and like, I feel the pain of that. So, um, it's bringing up a lot. Like, again, I say this, you know, if you weren't looking over a cliff down, you wouldn't maybe know that you have a fear of heights because you're always on solid ground. You're not looking down some great height. So it doesn't come up. But like, if you're at the edge of a cliff looking down, all like those fears are going to come up. And so like, I've been in writing this book and now in putting it out there, it's like every kind of like fear is coming up. And if I don't take time away from my business to like deal with this, how we work is we start building walls. We start building armor. We start like taking those emotions. We start taking that fear and we start like compartmentalizing it and shoving it. And so if we don't take the time to feel our stuff, we can't be authentic because we have all this like stuff that's kind of like stuffed in, you know, and like your decisions aren't going to be authentic. These repressed fears are going to be running your decisions. Like it's just, you're not going to be able to be an authentic person. And like, that's the thing that's most important to me. And it's why I think healing is, should be at the top of number one thing humanity needs to do collectively is to heal because like we can't be our authentic selves and we can't be in our hearts if our traumas and our fears and our pain and our insecurities are really underneath it all, what's running the show, which is what's happening with humanity at the moment, you know? And so to answer your question, I work about like 20 to 30 hours a week. And then I spend like a solid 20 to 30, whether it's journaling, subconscious reprogramming, there's a lot of different kinds of healing I do. Subconscious reprogramming, therapy, uh, neuroemotional technique, which is like some, some like really cool like forms of healing is what I spend most of my time on. Uh, because like this next chapter of my life terrifies me, like truly terrifies me to my core. And it's something that I'm still grappling with. 
Dang. I feel like fear is such a good mile marker for like you're saying healing. And I've never made that connection before because it's like, what are you scared of? Like whenever I am afraid of something, I know I have to do it. And even if it's something dumb, like, you know, like my, I'm not afraid of many things, but I am afraid of like diving with sharks. And that is one thing that I'm always like, I need to go do that because Mm. I don't know why I'm scared of it, but I want to go do it to figure it out. Um, And I think that what you're saying is so true. It's like, well, what are you afraid of? What do you think is going to happen? And then taking that and then trying to find healing within that to not be scared of that thing. Um, And I just think that's such an important distinction when you're starting a business, when you're going to therapy and in all of these different um, aspects. And, you know, I think I think that something that needs to be said about fear, because I think that we talk about the things we're afraid of. There are things that we truly should be afraid of. Right like for example like even in your swimming with sharks yeah like there's a reason you're afraid of that but like Uh and and, but then if it's something like for example for me something I'm working on right now is I'm afraid to be loved like I don't open myself up to men because I am afraid to be loved that's like there are things you should be afraid like if you see some kind of sketchy guy with a knife in an alleyway you should feel fear you know and like you don't want to just walk towards him anyway you should turn around and walk away so like the a bit what happens with healing is we're able to discern when fear is from like a place of trauma versus when fear is from a place of like like a good survival instinct because the issue with like trauma-based fear responses is it all feels like survival like i don't want to be loved because that's the way that i know to survive um and so anyway so like just all of that to say like what i wish people would talk about more is like discerning between fear that should be looked at and healed and fear that truly should be listened to because we don't want to take away fear that truly should be listened to because fear is really useful in our own survival. And like, you know, there are times when like somebody has a look in their eyes and if I feel fear, it might mean that like don't engage because they might hurt you. Like, and you can sense that. And like, that's really good instinct. And so, but then if I'm afraid of success, right? Like I fear success or I fear failure, then it's like, okay, let's question why. Well, if I fail, I feel like I have no self-worth. Now you're on to something. So there, there are like distinctions, I think, in fear. Did you know by subscribing to our podcast, you will get immediate access to our episodes every Tuesday? It'll give you a notification so you don't even have to think about it. You can turn on these notifications on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. While you are at it, rating and reviewing the show takes less than a few seconds. It bumps us up on iTunes and gives us a shot to grow our community. It means the world and we read every single review. If you're listening to the show and you love hearing our voices every single week, we would love to hear what you think. Whether it's your favorite episode, what you want to hear from us or maybe some stuff we need to work on. We are super open to it and we would just love to hear what you guys have to say. And while you're at it, DM us, hang out with us on Instagram and join our secret Facebook group, the Salt and Pepper Podcast Insiders. We love to talk to you guys. We love to hear your thoughts. And honestly, we love to see it when you share our episodes. Thanks so much. And let's get back to the show. Yeah. 
that's that is so true yeah because I can think of that even I've been with my boyfriend for eight and a half years and I've taken a really long time to like to walk that path with him and like truly let him in and I I really noticed the distinction when I fully let him in and it was scary. It's like, I'm scared to lose you. I'm scared to depend on you because you might let me down. I'm kind of scared to trust you because now I've put in, like, now I lo like love you so much that you might hurt me. Totally what you're saying is true. It's like, there are those, those different types of fear. Mm -hmm. Um, For, so when you started therapy, did you already know about your repressed memories? Like, were they starting to come up? And so, what what was that process like was that I, I can't imagine um it was brutal like because like when I started therapy I started therapy to prove therapy wrong I was like I'm gonna go to there I was a very tough cookie I was like I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna show them that like this is stupid you know like that was my attitude and um it took quite a few months for me to open up it took quite a few months like it was a while of kind of just like banging against like a wall almost because I was refusing to I was refusing to open up but I didn't even realize I was refusing to open up I kind of was like yeah I'm here I'm open and my therapist is like no you're not right and I'm like yeah I am and it's just kind of like I was in a place of like very mental place let's just say that um and it took you know, first it wasn't repressed memories. First, it was stuff that felt like a dream. So like, for example, when I was molested at 11, that feels like, a, that felt like a dream to me. So I would be like, you know, like, I don't think this ever really happened, but it like feels so true, but it's like a dream, you know? And that's where we kind of started. And like slowly over the years, it became more... Sorry, you're good. I'm so sorry about that. No, please don't be sorry. Are you are you feeling okay? Yeah, um, I'm kind of shaking, but um, I mean, I don't know how much of that we're gonna keep in, but um, there's some stuff that I haven't like shared yet on the podcast or anything, like things I've gone to therapy for, but. <laughs> Yeah, when you were sharing about, um, <laughs> you didn't know it was a repressed memory. It felt like this dream. Um, I recently started therapy because, um, I was molested as a child and I didn't realize it because it was like this nightmare that I would like think I had like one time or something and not realizing like it was real. Yeah until um I was getting married and I was like oh like I was a virgin and I was about to have sex for the first time and I was getting so much anxiety and then yeah. this like nightmare just kept coming up and I was like oh my that was I think that was real and I'm like such an open book and I'm very vulnerable and so my husband knew everything like about me and I saw him down and I'm like hey I was molested, I think. I'm pretty sure. I don't know 100%. Never want to talk about it again, but I just wanted to let you know. And then, like, having kids and having babies and, like, breastfeeding and, you know, 
it it brings it all up and then it I just got to a breaking point and so that was um I think that was uh my reaction to hearing someone else have that experience for the first time um yeah so it's it's a lot (laughs) but I'm sure you understand I completely understand like for me one of the things my friends were always like we never got this about you but I used to always say like oh yeah all sex feels like rape because like to me it was to your point like it just when you're going there that's what it brings up if it's unhealed and so that's what it was bringing up for me so I've throughout my early 20s whenever I had sex I would dissociate and it would feel like I was being raped and my girlfriends were like what are you talking but I thought it was like that for every woman. Like I didn't realize, you know, so like I totally, like when you were saying you were like the intimacy with your husband is what brought it up. That makes sense because like, I used to feel like so much terror around intimacy that I would completely dissociate. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just from the outside perspective, cause I would love to know, I mean, advice for girls maybe that are going through this. I mean, question for both of you guys, like, you know, maybe someone is listening to this right now and, and they're feeling those things as well, or maybe they have that trauma. What are some things, I mean, going to therapy, but what are some things that you can do when you are entering into a sexual relationship or, you know, a marriage? I think first of all, to not question yourself, because like I didn't bring up the molesting thing for a long time because I didn't know if it was real. Like, like I said, I thought it was this dream. You know, and like, that's kind of where we started with repressed stuff was like this dream, like thing, which was like, it was like curtains. There, Like, it just felt like the, it felt like I was watching a movie about somebody else. And there's just like all these layers of like curtains and like, that's dissociation, right? Like, that's how we deal with trauma. But I questioned myself and I just said like, oh, that didn't happen. I'm making this up. Maybe I just like want pity from other people, right? Like that's now that self-judgment, that self-blame, that's like, so just trust yourself, first of all, like these memories are a lot for us to deal with, especially when we're little girls. And so like, of course there's like dissociations and like whatever, I do think that like counseling and therapy, I don't know how I would have navigated all of this and a relationship in a way that would lead to long-term healthiness of the relationship and success of the relationship without counseling and therapy. Because the issue is whenever, for me, the issue was whenever any guy made an advance on me, it reminded me of the molester making an advance on me. So no guy can love me, no guy can care for me, no guy can come at that from a place of like, anything that feels pure or good, right? It feels evil, like, and it feels like I, my life is in danger. And like, you can't really have a real connection with somebody if what you're doing is projecting an abuser onto them yet that's that is what's going to happen so I think like the two pieces of advice would be one just trust yourself like if you think you've been molested if you think you've been sexually abused in any way you probably have otherwise you wouldn't think that and you wouldn't have such reactions to it right like they came from somewhere and then two, like work with the counselor and this stuff is brutal to work through like brutal I can't tell you how brutal and like my book like it just gets really intense because like 
if you if we really when I really let myself feel the shame, the humiliation, the pain, the grief, the anger, all of it around this, it was very crushing. Again, this is why I said I started writing because I needed a way to like cope, you know, I needed a way to like process. Um, And I think that like, it's important that we need to do, we need to do that with therapists and counselors because we can't be empowered women who have empowering relationships if we're trapped in these moments in our past and we're reliving them anytime that same environment is created, which is what happens until you heal these kind of bigger wounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Um, I think uh, from what I really learned about um, my abuse was um, that it's not my fault. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, going through therapy, it... um, I, I remembered that one repressed memory that then like unfolded tons yep. of other ones later in my life. And it, it almost went from like the age I was molested up until like now. Yep. And then all of these people who, um, yeah, just like not great things and um, m- making me feel like it's my own fault Mm -hmm. and I think part of that is even like what society can even tell you like oh because a woman dresses provocatively or you're you're wearing like um like a low-cut shirt or you're wearing like a tank top or you're wearing shorts that are too short or you're not wearing pants or you're not supposed to wear that dress and it's supposed to make you feel and it tends to make you feel like it's your fault even though you have pure intentions and you have a pure heart in it and then like the people looking at you wrong or doing wrong to you aren't the ones to blame because why are they doing it and so that's what really helped me realize my worth and that I'm not like a bad person or like I'm not like a bad girl um is like it wasn't my fault it never was and that's what my like my my first happenstance made me feel like for the rest of my life if someone looked at me wrongly it was my fault and so I had to remind myself like it's not and um I what you said that was so good is like listen to yourself and trust yourself like if you are having these memories it's not coming out of nowhere other people who haven't been abused don't just have these memories out of nowhere it's not something like even if it could have been a dream it's not going to be a recurring dream that you have over and over and over again it's happening for a reason and so like my my repressed memory I can see it like happening Mm -hmm. I'm like a ghost that's like watching it happen from like beginning to end and um yeah so like listen to yourself and like trust trust your intuition and yeah I would say there's no way to get through it except for through therapy I'm so crazy thankful for therapy and I actually my therapist was a guy and what was so important about that was he like would tell me like um at the end of our sessions he's like and you see how you are providing me with such intimate information and I'm not making a move on you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm proving to you it's not your fault. And I, and then you're proving to all of the other people that it was their fault. And that was like one of the biggest things to me is like trusting a man. And even, I mean, I had an instance with a, a 
female. And so I have like still trust issues with women. And I actually have really similar thing to you, like wanting to be masculine. Like don't, don't like me. (laughs) Like don't, I don't want you to think of me as like a sexual being at all. I don't want to be looked at as like a female because it feels wrong. Yep. And I think so many women have it. And I think like, you know, it's who we are though. You know, like what I've like kind of learned over these years is like, I am a woman. I am feminine. Like it's my energy. It's my nature. It's where I feel most at home in my own body is when I feel feminine. And to have that robbed from me is Mm -hmm. wrong. And Mm -hmm. so many women have that robbed from them. Like we live in a world where so many women have had their femininity robbed and they're terrified to go back to it. And, you know, it takes a lot of work to be able to go back to it. Um, but I think yeah. it's important work and I think it's, you know, brave work for anyone who's doing it. Yeah. And I think sometimes it can even be subconscious because even though I haven't had an instant as serious as that, like I remember more recently some guy like came on to me and it was at a job. And I remember the first thing I thought was I shouldn't have worn those jeans mm-hmm. because those are really tight on my butt. And I was like, I didn't even purposefully think that. And I was like, ew, why am I thinking that? Like, I did not do anything. I did not lead him on in any way. Um, and and I and I often have to talk myself through things. Like, no, I can wear makeup and lipstick and go work at a job and still look good and be a woman, but still like get my stuff done. And it's so it's crazy that we have to tell ourselves that in this world that it's not just about how we look because. People will make it seem like that all the time. It's always about the physical appearance. And then, well, he hit on you. Well, you just looked really good that night. And it's like, how is that something that we're putting together, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's toxic masculinity. I like, you know, that that word is overused in some ways, but I think it... That's the true form of it, I think. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, And yeah, I don't use those words. Yeah. We use those like so we don't use them lightly. So I think that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think like one of my like you saying that I would say that to my husband. I'm like, oh, no, is like, did that guy do that? Because I looked a certain way. My husband's like, well, did you did you mean to wear something like that so that like you get attention? I'm like, no. And he's like, then it's not your fault. Yeah. And so and having guys a man can in- see that, why can't girls? Because we're taught not to, you know. So right. Go ahead. And so um, I think like also having someone like a man who can like reassure you like, no, it's not your yeah. fault. That's not you. That was like really helpful for me to recognize like not that I needed him to do that, but the fact that he would mm-hmm. and that he did really helped me. And then also coming down to like having sex and being having intimacy in marriage like even if it's not sexual having intimacy was so difficult and being close to him um having patience I would also say is like one of the biggest things too like having someone who's like patient with you and is okay with going really really slow and will understand the times like you really can't like be sexually intimate has been like so important to Mm -hmm. me too because that it's like when you find out about your trauma, you really have to give yourself a lot of grace to not push yourself and like be more afraid of those areas. And if you're pushing yourself, look at why, right? Because like for me, I would push myself and I would be in these intimate 
sexual relations. And it's because growing up in India, I was taught like, you have to please the guy. Like you have to like that. So like now on top of my own trauma, I'm creating more trauma because I'm putting myself in situations that are reminding me of the trauma by having sex that feels like rape because I feel like I have to please the man because I'm, I was taught that by my dad. And if I didn't please my dad, there'd be physical abuse, you know? So like, so like for anyone who feels like, why do I feel compelled to like be in this situation when it's like scary or dangerous, there's probably another layer. And that's the sucky part about like healing trauma is like, there's so many different layers to it. And like, we just had like, the whole observe question and like wonder why you do what you do and you know a self-study which is what I've done over the last few years is so important because like you'd be amazed and this is why I say healing is so important at how many of our actions are coming from trauma or from conditioned beliefs Mm -hmm. yeah I mean like she was saying we don't use like these words a lot but talking everyone talks about women empowerment and feminism and all of these things but I just want to say like your story to me is like true women empowerment and you sharing your story I know is is helping and is going to help so many people and I'm so happy you like kind of stepped out in fear to write this book and I know we can't wait to read it and share it with our audience so um kind of as we wrap up we always like to ask our guests what their silver lining is so just something good that came from something bad or challenging and any realm of your life um is there something that comes to mind i think you know in any situ with anything in life the two silver linings i've always seen is like wisdom and strength you know i think that like no matter what hardship i've gone through they can look very different from each other on the other side i'm a wiser person i'm a stronger person and usually i'm also a kinder person so like Mm -hmm. that's kind of what i would say to that yeah that's good so tell everybody where we can, they can find, find you, you, your book, hang yeah. out with cats. <laughs> <laughs> so hang out with cats. You go to crumbsandwhiskers.com and make a reservation. All of our cats are safe from euthanasia in high kill shelters and they're all up for adoption. And we've saved over 1750. We've saved over 3,500 cats from euthanasia, uh, adopted mm-hmm. over 1750 cats and oh. donated over 40K to like animal welfare charities. Wow. Um, so that's that. Crimson and Whiskers. And then for me, you can go to kanchenofficial.com and the book will be available for pre-order by late August. And that's Dear Me, I Love You. And I can't wait to read it. This was so good. Thank you so much just for your vulnerability and honesty. It was so awesome. Yeah. Thank you, ladies. And good luck with all of this. You've you've got this. And I know that it's hard, brutal work. So just wishing you, wishing you, sending you love (laughs) and good vibes. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Shakers, thank you so much for listening. Um, We know that today's episode was a little bit harder. We did talk about some really tough subjects, and I know it was very impactful for Lisa and for Conchin um, and for me, too, to just um, hear about their stories on a deeper level. And I just know that Conchin's story is going to impact so many of you guys. So thank you so much for listening. Um, 
we really hope that you enjoyed it and and took something out of it. And like we had mentioned, we're so excited for Conscience's new book, Dear Me, I Love You. Um, and I will link um, a way for you to pre-order that down below in the show notes. It should be coming out here in the next few days. And we are just so excited for her and her next steps. Um, if you want to hang out with cats and coffee, which who doesn't, you can obviously make a reservation on crumbsandwhiskers.com. And that will be linked below as well. If you haven't yet, you can follow us on Instagram at the Salt and Pepper Podcast. And you can follow us personally at Olivia Corinne and at It's Lisa Brosser. You can also join our secret Facebook group, the Salt and Pepper Podcast Insiders. There we can just hang out with you guys and talk about everything we talk about on the show. So we would love to see you guys there. So I think that's it. So we will shake it up with you guys next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Tune in every Tuesday on the saltandpepperpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and please rate and review. Follow us on Instagram at the Salt and Pepper Podcast. Make sure to like and follow our Facebook page and email us for any questions, comments, or ideas about what you want to hear on the show. We will see you next Tuesday. I'm all shook up.